Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about clean beauty and first it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists. In the London studio we have Elsie Rutterford, co-founder at Bybee Beauty, Dominika Minarevic, co-founder at Bybee Beauty also, Christine Chang, co-CEO and co-founder of Glow Recipe, Sarah Lee, co-CEO and co-founder of Glow Recipe and Audrey Weston, marketing manager at Inelex. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Now, beauty is now sold more on the ingredients that it doesn't contain than those that it does. Uh, Let's start the chat by talking about what's behind the free-from clean beauty trend and why it's dominating launch activity everywhere right now. Elsie, do you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, for us, the way that we wound up launching a clean beauty brand was definitely through watching the, the clean beauty trend filter down from food. So I think the UK tends to be a little bit behind um, parts of the US with these kind of things. But that clean eating movement, and I'm doing bunnies because <laughs> I, don't, I don't think everybody loves that term anymore but that clean eating movement definitely kind of hit us in sort of five six years ago um, something that um, myself and Dominica kind of fully embraced um, and kind of concepts around understanding food groups um, picking apart the labels of your food um, started, started to become huge right kind of led by influencers and I think what we saw here in the UK was those concepts of um, how I nourish my body then feed through to how I nourish my skin and actually can we use some of those concepts that are regularly used in food and translate them to my skincare because my skin is an organ so I think that's why in the UK here we yeah we really saw the kind of the rise of the clean beauty and and um, the kind of ingredient scrutinizing become much bigger. Christine do you want to add to that how did you guys decide to embrace the clean beauty trend? So for us, it was definitely ingredient driven. Um, I think that on a personal level, Sarah and myself, we've both been in the beauty industry for 10 plus years before starting Glow Recipe, doing marketing and product development. And we knew firsthand what type of ingredients we were passionate about, including in our skincare and what type of ingredients we wanted to avoid. And so from the very beginning, we were very transparent about our processes with our customers first about our curations and then eventually about our, our in-house line, Glow Recipe Skincare. Um, but to the point made earlier, it, it does very much stem from a lifestyle where I'm trying to work out, I'm trying to do self-care, I'm trying to invest in my body and make healthy choices for myself. And of course, that extends to your largest organ, your skin, um, and looking for ingredients that benefit versus ingredients that you think might not. And Audrey, do you want to add to that from a supply point of view? Yeah, I think that's spot on. I mean, I think that a lot of it does stem from this wellness point of view. And I think um, consumers getting more interested in what's on their ingredient deck and um, creating an interest around what's in their their cosmetics is uh, a trend we should really embrace as an industry. And I think like... Um, the two brands pointed out that the focus on what can nourish your skin and the focus on the good that is put in the in the bottle um, is a really nice switch that I think the clean beauty trend is making right now. Now, undoubtedly, we're all in agreement that this clean beauty trend came from the wellness industry, from clean eating. But is that still the case? Um, has it developed to be more 
of things that you don't want rather than things that you do want in your body? And how is that affecting the industry? Are we creating confusion and mistrust here? Um, do you want to answer that for us, Dominica? Yeah, I think um, there's a, a lot of negativity that has started to um, kind of grow around clean beauty, which is a shame because I think the roots of um, the kind of formulation and, and particularly re the reason why we're clean is actually really positive. It's, it's around focusing on what's in your products rather than what's not in. But I think when um, brands don't necessarily have a lot to say, it's a really easy marketing messages to say, we don't use these ingredients, we're free from X, Y and Z. Um, so it is a bit of a shame that it's kind of built this momentum of negativity when really the roots of it do come from wellness self-care um nourishing your body with pure you know unprocessed raw ingredients and that's the philosophies of clean beauty rather than necessarily talking about toxins which um again you know the word toxin is incredibly negative and it it makes us think that um you know our face cream can do us damage and it's not necessarily the case it's an incredibly complex scientific argument to say you know ingredients can have negative effects on the body so i think talking about the positive is the way that we've always viewed clean beauty and we would hope that other brands that tend to be more negative don't get the you know the positive reception from their audience and, and start to change their messaging soon because it is distorting the overall industry and giving it kind of a bad rep when actually it is a really positive movement. Sarah do you want to add to that? Yeah I agree. I think one of the reasons why um, these this trend has been even bigger for skincare in the U.S. is because of the rising sort of demand for people that want to take care of their sensitive skin. Um, I think, you know, the, the original origin was wellness trend, but people have been trying, you know, new active ingredients that are really known for preventing issues, but also fixing and repairing skin concerns. Uh, like wrinkles and dullness and hyperpigmentation. So I think a lot of people were educated to use high doses of active ingredients that are good for you. But um, in addition to that, I think people are, people are becoming more and more knowledgeable about um, how these ingredients can actually be harmful if not used the right way. Or, um, you know, over time, skin is just becoming more and more sensitized. We're always exposed to pollution, free radicals. We're always um, either traveling or working long hours. You know, we're exposed to a lot of stress factors. And uh, more and more, I think there's a demand to make sure that the skin is, you know, being prevented by usage of unnecessary ingredients that could cause, in the long run, sensitivity. So, Audrey, what are the no-nos in clean beauty? What are the nasty ingredients, to uh, coin a term? I think some companies take um, a macro stance um, and try to eliminate an entire category. I also think this is sometimes potentially where we get into uh, issues about what's misleading. For example, someone mentioned toxins or preservative-free as an entire claim is is quite controversial. Um, but then I think the typical list I see on a lot of clean brands um, are you know, parabens, phthalates, formaldehydes, synthetic fragrance, um, again, any of these being a controversial issue. But I also see uh, no mineral oils, silicones, pegs, sulfates. I think these are some of the common ones. 
Um, and again, you could pick apart each each ingredient and go through whether it's nasty or not and whether it should be included or not or if it has a place. I think some of these have have a reputation that um, we perhaps decide we must move on and leave them in the dust. And I think there are some that um, there's an opportunity for re-education about, about those ingredients. So is, is it deserved for all of them? Are, are there elements of fear-mongering here? Elsie, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting conversation and it's something that we see play out a lot within the industry between um, the kind of very scientific, I guess, synthetic-based chemists and the natural community. And we've actually seen lately quite a few debates going on around specific ingredients that um, some of the kind of like hardcore naturalists um, may deem toxic unsafe to use just to reiterate here as Dominica said like we don't like words like that I think the word toxic in any context of beauty is just wrong and and a lot of the time it is misinformed but we see the kind of hardcore naturalist coining things as toxic and then um, the the cosmetic chemistry industry kind of step in and say actually without ingredients like that particularly in the preservative realm um, that formulation is unsafe you know we have to preserve things um, as soon as there's water in them so I think there's there's a bit of a mix. I don't think any of the the people that really stand for the hardcore natural who are kind of causing some of that fear-mongering mean to do it. I think um, a lot of the time what's happening is perhaps they're slightly misinformed and um, don't have the cosmetic kind of chemistry background to back up some of the claims that they're making. Um, but equally, I think those who do have the chemistry background are perhaps are on the side of caution um, and are always looking at things from a kind of safety point of view. But I don't think, on the whole, many people are, are trying to fear monger. I don't think that's a lot of people's intent. I think it's based on lack of research and, and lack of knowledge a lot of the time. Um, but it does end up causing a bit of fear mongering because the consumer just goes, what? I don't know. I don't know what to believe then. So it's quite dangerous, actually, um, the kind of um, the wide sharing of, of misinformation. But yeah, that's what I think it, it tends to come down to is just perhaps a lack of research a lot of the time. Well, it is the cosmetics industry's false news, isn't it, in a, in a yeah. way? I mean, what what do we do about that? What do we do when entire categories that, as you mentioned, are actually necessary in cosmetics like preservatives become vilified? Audrey, how do we science our way out of that? How do we formulate differently? Or do we? Or do we need to educate people instead? I think it depends on the ingredient, the ingredient category. Again, there are certain ones that just have such a negative reputation. Um, at this point, it's going to be a, a, a deep hole to dig out of. Um, but I think there are other ones that consumers are looking towards the industry for guidance on how to consider these ingredients, whether it's right for them. Most of these you know, are not bad for everyone um, as ingredient suppliers you know our job is to make safe ingredients for the industry um, and so the, the campaigns that are fear-mongering or seem like fear-mongering or have the effect of fear-mongering um, I think do do some damage but it gives an opportunity again to educate on the technologies um, I think also if the industry t- takes a more positive approach again the brands claiming what they what they do put in and not what they don't or the benefits of alternatives for example intellect offers 
silicone alternatives, and we've never and will never run a fear-mongering campaign about silicones. That's not even in the realm of possibility. But we are able to you know, maintain a leadership position in this category by talking about the benefits of a sugarcane-based, you know, light dry emollient that feels like silicone. So I think the opportunity is in the the burden is really on the industry to educate and to make this switch from fear-mongering campaigns um, to positive, you know, clean-focused dialogues about ingredients and ingredient categories. Christine, how does Glow um, deal with that dialogue? How do you talk to your consumers from a positive perspective rather than starting with the negative? So for us, the approach is actually very much a combination. I think what's at the core is transparency. So it wasn't so long ago where you would find a product online and you would actually have to email the brand to ask for the full IL because it wasn't on their website. And I think part of what clean beauty has ushered in is an an era of complete transparency where the customer has a right to knowing the ingredient list, why you use certain ingredients and why you didn't. And from the very beginning of our journey, ingredients had to be very much part of the conversation because we were informing the customers why we were making certain curation decisions versus others. And the same goes for Glow Recipe Skincare on why we included certain ingredients, like the benefit of, for example, watermelon, a natural ingredient that hadn't really been used in skincare before, the watermelon glow sleeping mask in a very, very heroized way. Um, but also why we chose to formulate the mask without certain ingredients. But at the end of the day, I, I agree that it's very much based on education and treating the customer as as an equal kind of partner in this dialogue where you're no longer talking to them or selling to them. It's, it's very much a dialogue. Um, one more thing to note about that is that we are always very open about what is and what isn't in each product so that whether we are clear about our formulation philosophy at the base, but we also give the customer quick and easy ways to determine, you know, perhaps even though we don't think, for example, silicone or alcohol should always be vilified and they have their place within cosmetic chemistry, the customer is still able to make the choice if they prefer not to have those ingredients in their products and very much so at a glance whether that's on our site, on our YouTube channels, in videos, and so on and so forth. Can we say clean beauty is undoubtedly dominated by indie players, but we've seen a lot of the, the bigger companies, the retailers, either introduce their own clean beauty line or if they're a re- retailer, introduce a clean beauty section, uh, have transparency pledges. There's been quite a bit of backlash about and particularly Walmart I'm thinking about here. Can a company that is known for more, less clean beauty traditionally get into the clean beauty market or is the trust already lost? Um, Dominica, what do you think? I think that's a really tricky marketing play from a retailer or a um, kind of big conglomerate that has in bunny ears non-clean brands because then the argument is, well, why would I then shop in the non-clean section? You're, you're literally telling me that the other products that you sell or make aren't clean. And clean obviously is very loosely defined and, and doesn't really have any strong parameters around it. But 
is something dirty if it's not clean? You know, there's just a lot, a lot of negative associations and I think it's quite dangerous um, for retailers as well if they've got a clean section, what sits, what sits outside of that section. So I think, again, just focusing on the positives um, and why something, you know, maybe clean isn't always the right word, you know, natural or um, naturally harnessed or using, you know, really strong like food and, and plant language is another way to kind of purport the clean message without necessarily having that opposite demonizing effect of, okay, this is clean and then that's dirty or that's not clean. So I think, you know, it is a trend and, and consumers are demanding, you know, products without mineral oil, without silicones, without parabens um, and some of these other ingredients. And sometimes because they are sensitized to them, they know that, you know, a paraben or a sulfate isn't great for their skin type. Um, so therefore, those consumers should have a right to one, know the ingredients and to be able to buy products that do not have those ingredients because some consumers are very informed and they're very educated. And also, if a consumer has come to their own conclusion by doing their own research, then they also have the right to buy products that don't have certain ingredients that they wish to avoid. So there is a place for clean beauty. There is a place for clean beauty within small, medium, large you know, brands and retailers. But I think these kind of organisations have to be really careful about the way that they market these ranges or these sections because it can also be quite counterintuitive as well. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, larger companies, um, you know, internally they have a lot of regulations. Internally there are just, you know, different set of restrictions. You know, both Christine and myself come from L'Oreal. And, um, you know, I remember developing one single product would take, you know, even beyond 18 months versus today as an indie brand, you know, we, we have the capability to actually, um, you know, accelerate some processes and steps along the way for product development. So there are, you know, different sort of boundaries as, you know, an Brown founder that we can sort of make and sometimes take a small risk and make sure that they're, you know, every step of the way is tested, but maybe not all at the same time, right? So totally understand that, you know, the mainstream, you know, mass players and large companies are taking a little bit longer. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's all about being transparent, but also uh, being part of the movement to educate their audience in terms of what informing the customers and what they're pur- purchasing. Because I think that's the best way to earn trust, and and I think that there's a lot of you know suspicion around. Um, how the companies are being transparent, you know, if the ingredient lists are actually transparent as well. Um, And I think, again, these large companies actually have larger responsibilities in a way to be as transparent um, and to everyone else's point to keep this perspective very um, positive. And what about the regulators? Where do the regulators stand on this? If if something was as dangerous as, um, you know, none of the people around the table today are claiming, but say Gwyneth Paltrow, who's the, the extremist of of um, clean, the clean movement, would be saying, why aren't the regulators stepping in? What, where is the gap there? Um, Elsie, do you want to uh, answer that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the regulations change based on where you are, um, for one. So I'm sure it will be different for, you know, us formulating at Bybee, adhering to European regulations versus like the Glow Recipe guys within the US. Um, so it kind of changes. And um, when there's a disparity on that, you know, it's, it's difficult to say who is right or wrong there, you know, which regulating um, kind of authority in that context is is correct. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Um I think the real challenge around kind of like regulating accreditation um, is just there doesn't always seem to be a set of clear kind of guidelines to um, clearly define for the consumer what clean actually means. And I think whilst we do have bodies within the industry um, who can kind of, we've got, you know, EcoCert and um, those kind of guys who who are good at kind of defining it for us on the inside of the industry, it doesn't feel particularly outward facing. And, it, and it, at the moment, it's not something that consumers kind of recognise from an outwardly facing point of view. Um, so for the consumer, it can be quite confusing because you know if we're talking about the big brands trying to sort of step in and have a have a stake within the clean beauty conversation you know how do they know how do they gain that trust and um would they recognize a, a kind of like eco cert or a um or, you know soil association um kind of stamp on the back of a packaging at the moment and kind of fully understand what that means no probably not um and then what that then leads to is without a clear definition of what clean really means um there's a you know the gates kind of wide open for for the bigger brands to to kind of come in and 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 sway that conversation. So I think um, yeah, it's it does all just go back down to transparency. Um, and as a brand, how do we play in that conversation without a clear kind of guideline on the definition of clean? We are just as transparent as we possibly can be. And I think yeah, as as the guys at Glow Recipe kind of call out that a lot of that comes down to the way that you list your ingredients, the fact that you even list your ingredients on the website. You know, we do small things at Bybee like translate everything into English which you don't have to do but just making that kind of that bit of the purchasing decision a little bit easier for our consumers our ingredients take up an entire side of our pack rather than needing a magnifying glass to kind of read them so I think yeah it, it does just come down to transparency because I don't think there's any uh, kind of like clear and universal globally universal kind of regulation or, or guideline that we can follow in the clean kind of conversation. Christine, does it that make it an easier sell in areas that are um, less regulated? Let's put it, for example, the US. Is clean beauty more popular in the US because of the lack of regulation? That's a really interesting <laughs> point of view. Um, I actually think that the US customer is very aware that the regulations aren't at a place where they need to need to be to really, really inform the, the product development decisions. And then to your point, a lot of it is led by brands, led by customers, and also led by retailers that are more invested in this movement because their customer is. Um, I I don't know if the clean beauty trend is necessarily directly correlated to the fact that there's less regulation. It's more, I think, customers wanting to make informed decisions about their beauty purchasing. And I think that because the U.S. Um, is still kind of in process, if you will, of defining what clean is on a, on a government or on a legal level, um, the onus has been very much on the brands to share their point of view, their philosophy. Um, and we've always said from the beginning that in a way you, you have to know the people behind the brand and why that's important in this day and age is because the people formulating your brand are making the decisions on 
cost-cutting on which ingredients to use versus one over the other, on how to source ingredients. And that, that process is very much something that customers now want to be involved in. So we say in addition to being transparent and having the type of information readily available on the site, like get to know who you're buying from. Um, and our customers have always told us that they've appreciated that type of openness um, from both the brand and the founders from the inception of Glow. Audrey, do you want to add um, to the conversation on regulation? Yeah, I would say if we again look at food, I see a similarity here again because consumers, you know, well, well, you can't, uh, a food company can't sell you something that's poisonous or of human health concern. A consumer might choose to take an ingredient out of their diet or um, maybe they're allergic to something and they can lean to clean beauty even when the regulation covers everything that's dangerous to them. Um, and I see this as a parallel in beauty, you know, to for co- consumers to understand that what they're using is safe, is good, and then to empower them to still make their own choices on what ingredients are right for them, um, I think is at the, the, is the place that we're at. Um, and, and the next piece I would say is that I do think the regulation, um, especially what's happening in the EU, uh, is an opportunity for um, the government to come in and protect other elements of our ecosystem besides um, you know, humans, like looking at protecting ocean life um, and environment in general or plant life. Um, I think this is where the regulation can come in to you know, prevent us from harm. Um, but I think that for everyone to understand that the regulation is sufficient to, for the industry to not be poisoning us is, is an important baseline to come from. Um, and I think that that is consistent, you know, across the globe, even in the U.S., where there's uh, less direct regulation on cosmetics. Well, let's take that point up because clean of course, has a very much wider definition to just how it affects our personal health, doesn't it? How have you seen the definition of clean changing in view of the zero waste movement, in view of, you know, increasing focus on planet? Elsie, do you want to uh, answer that? How's it changing over the year? Our perspective has changed quite a lot since we launched the brand just over two years ago in that we used to talk a lot about being a natural brand. And we're natural because we genuinely believe that yields the greatest performance and the best results for our skin. We don't demonize ingredients or demonize synthetics. Um, we, When we switched to natural, we just saw great results and we were like, if we're going to start a brand, this has to be our guideline and we genuinely believe in that. But actually the conversation for us has switched a lot more to sustainability and I think generally across the clean movement, this kind of like, yeah, what is in your in your products um, and are they clean is becoming less relevant and actually are those ingredients sustainable? If you're a natural brand and you're dipping into the earth's resources, are those ingredients renewable? Where are they coming from? Who's harvesting them? What's the narrative and the supply chain story around those ingredients? And then from a synthetic point of view, we know things like mineral oils and silicons, like they do have a negative effect on the environment. And that's why as a consumer, I don't buy products with those ingredients. It's not because I'm fearful of what they'll do to my well-being. It's actually what I'm fearful of what they do to the environment. So I think actually the clean philosophies as as sustainability and, and the climate have become more of a topic of conversation. Actually, that's starting to shift away and people aren't necessarily asking questions around, you know, toxins and, and what's in and what 
isn't in products. It's actually, is this a sustainable product? And is this formulated within um, a mind frame that is thinking about the environment? Because a lot of these ingredients aren't biodegradable. They do cause harm to, you know, waterways um, and marine toxicity. And, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. And I think that's where everyone needs to shift to because that can, you know, that, that affects our well-being. And in order for us to continue on on this planet, it kind of takes precedence really over whether, you know, my face cream is going to give me cancer, I think. Anyway. Sarah, what do you think on that point? Is is your definition of clean changing at Glow? You know, I think um, five years ago when we first found a Glow recipe, we, we didn't use the word clean. Um, we actually had used harsh-free skincare, and that was sort of our way of, you know, clearly defining what clean meant at the time. Um, but we have been cognizant of sustainability as part of our key messaging. Um, you know, we use glass bars are 100% recyclable. We use um, paper materials that, once again, are recycled and recyclable. So it's, it's very much part of our key sort of messaging, but we want to make sure that that is top of mind um, even more going forward. I think the reality today is, um, to, to your point earlier, that, you know, consumers are demanding full transparency in terms of ingredient lists, but also um, about how the ingredients are being sourced, the full manufacturing processes, and then now sustainability, because at the end of the day, um, you know, the future, and I think it's part of your next question, actually, is is we should really um, be expecting the consumers to be demanding a new philosophy of clean beauty that goes beyond just products or the formulation. You know, at the end of the day, what's not bad for for us and our skin and the environment um, can sort of switch over to, you know, what can we do to actually provide something that's good for the skin and good for the environment so that we're keeping this conversation in a a macro perspective, but also a a very positive one. And, um, you know, for us, it's important that we continue to educate our consumers and our followers on our social media channels uh, what this means, um, you know, what it means to have good ingredients. We're going to talk a lot more about the percentages of key ingredients. For example, um, we use fruit extract and fruit juices as, as our key ingredients. We're going to talk more about what that means, higher percentages of it, um, and what it means to layer different ingredients because not all ingredients, when used together, are always great for especially sensitive skin. Uh, we're going to talk more about um, how each and every component is made. And I think the future of the skincare industry, and we're really, really happy about this movement overall, is that even the sourcing um, eventually for many of the companies we're hoping are are done in a very respectful way. Maybe, um, you know, every step of the way we talk about protecting and um, the environment, but also empowering, you know, certain communities. And, you know, again, the sourcing of the supply chain packaging, you know, is every component environmentally friendly and not at the end of the day harming the ocean or the land? You know, how do we empower our audience to be um, keeping in mind recycling um, and these ethos of of development are, are really key? Audrey, from a supplier's perspective, are the demands getting more? I would actually echo both um, of these answers about where the clean beauty trend goes. I think it is evolving in a way that it's not just about the inky name and which ingredients you do and do not include, um, but taking a more macro approach um, to ingredient listing is is really where we're 
we're going next um, from an ingredient standpoint, you know, the way you make that ingredient may be different. Um, you know, we're always looking for ways to um, save energy, save water, you know, make the same ingredient in four fewer steps so that you can save energy, save water, you know, use renewable feedstocks, um, consider end of life, this sort of um, entire approach to ingredients. I think, um, you know, we're already doing as an ingredient supplier and working with the brands to, um, to then know how to use those ingredients and how to communicate that those benefits to your customers, I think is the, the, new territory for clean beauty to tackle um, and I think it will end up being you know, beneficial for the planet and, and make our customers happy and at the end of the day that's all what we all want. So is clean beauty going the full circle? Are we starting from a wellness mutating into a health scare and then going back to holistic in terms of everything, everyone? Uh, Elsie, do you want to... Uh, tell us what you believe the future of clean beauty to be how is it going to evolve yeah I mean I'm probably just going to say the same things that have just been said but to echo everyone um it's about it's it will move from clean beauty to clean planet that's where we're going and I think the reason that there's such a strong link kind of between those two things is that a lot of the key players in the clean movement are in a position to be able to react to the movement of sustainability and make key changes really quickly as opposed to some of the bigger guys but are also driven by founders who really care and I think you know everybody involved in today it's clearly a passion point for all of us that we are in such an amazing position as founders to listen to our planet to listen to the consumer and to make key changes within our businesses to make sure that clean beauty starts to transcend into a, a cleaner a cleaner planet and a um a cleaner way of running a brand that can kind of play within that I think we'll see that moving out of just packaging. Um, I think there's been so much emphasis on packaging within the sustainability conversation within beauty and it goes, as as has been highlighted, so much further than that. You know, the things we're doing around our, our ingredients, for example, we've put in a self-auditing system called the Green Score that looks at pretty much everything that's been mentioned today around the source location of every one of our raw materials. Who's harvesting that? Is it a renewable source? How is it travelling to the point of manufacturing? Um, and the the questions that are coming up for us as a brand are things like, you know, should we be using that really exotic and very glamorous or, you know, ingredient that is sourced, you know, in, in South Korea when we're producing in the UK? Or actually, can we find something closer to home that will yield the same skincare benefits? So I think that's where we'll see the movement um, going. I I think that what a challenge for all of us um, is to make sure that the consumer doesn't feel like they're compromising on quality of product and efficacy because we're in this really interesting stage at the moment where everybody is aware of sustainability and everybody's trying to do their bit but as consumers we're not quite ready to compromise on on our skincare so we want it to be really sustainable but we still want to have great skin so that's the challenge now for for clean beauty brands i think is how do we maintain our our efficacy um but do it in a way that is environmentally conscious and responsible um and i think we'll start to see some of the independent brands really lead those conversations and and again it's down to transparency you know once we've nailed that start to be really transparent with our consumer you know we we share all of this information with them we actually 
actually hold events called the Sustie Summit where we talk through things like our green score. So I think, um, yeah, it's it's all about planet moving forward. Great skin and great planet. <laughs> Christine, do you want to add to that? What what do you see as the future of clean beauty over at Glow? Yeah, so I I completely agree that ingredients, especially what's in and what's not in products, are are just going to be table stakes going forward. Um, because many, many brands are now formulating without parabens or mineral oils or, or certain ingredients that customers prefer not to find in their clean beauty products. And as an extension of that, absolutely sustainability is continue to be going to be an important part of the conversation because it extends past what is in the product. It's it's how the product was made and where it was sourced. I think that in this time, the really what's going to shine are our mission and value driven brands. So if you're clean and you're passionate about clean and sustainability, how are you walking the talk? How does that reflect um, on the daily choices you are making as a founder and as a business? And one example is that our office is powered by wind power and it's, it's a more costly decision versus normal power, you know, alternatives. But we made the decision as a team to switch to this because it was important to us to be able to continue to optimize what sustainability and what being responsible clean beauty brand meant to us. I think another thing to note here is that we switched. So it wasn't that we had it from the very beginning stages of our business. It's something we became cognizant of and wanted to improve. And being open about the fact that you are improving is once again for us part of our, our, our values of transparency and sharing that journey with our customers and them knowing that we're always moving toward what we think is the right decision, um, even if we're not absolutely perfect today. Audrey, what's your take on the future of clean beauty? I would agree. I think, um, yeah, again, going beyond just Inky List, um, taking this approach to the entire formulation and the entire uh, product, including packaging. You know, I love the, the office powered by, by wind energy, I think. Making the brand ethos really um, come full circle with this um, uh, clean beauty trend, I think, is where we're, we're seeing it go next. It's, uh, it's more and it's in the entire brand um, instead of just uh, a free one free from claim or, or things like that. And overall, is there a danger that the consumer is about to suffer from information overload? I mean, there are so many aspects to a simple decision making nowadays that it almost becomes impossible to pick a side, doesn't it? I mean, if you're a skincare a moisturizer you used to go into a, a shop and say oh i'd like a nice moisturizer i'd like to treat myself but now you have to think about whether the packaging's helpful for the environment and read the ingredients list and have a degree in chemistry in order to interpret it i mean is there a danger that there's going to be a backlash at some point people are going to go oh for goodness sake i just want a moisturizer yeah i think there's a definite danger of that and i think when that happens people just rest back to what they know so I think in order to inspire change we definitely have to be mindful of overloading mis- or misinformation and general information um, I think the way that we do it and, and we think about this a lot at Bybee is just talk about the benefits of the product because ultimately whatever's going on behind the scenes around sustainability and packaging and being clean and and formulating within certain guidelines they're actually all secondary mechanics and USPs 
behind does this product actually give me great skin and I think if you can convince a consumer of that then after they've purchased and after they've gone through that experience then you can follow up with OPS did you know x y and z I don't think consumers are going into stores and thinking about sustainability or clean to a certain extent or some of these other um, kind of ethical questions that we've raised as their number one purchasing decider. I think it will be around performance. Um, And I think we've already talked about that. There can't be a compromise. So I think first and foremost, we've got to continue our job as brands selling good skincare and then people will buy it. And all we're doing is trying to knock the non-sustainable brands off the shelves by our products selling more than theirs. So I think the, the focus should always be around educating your consumer on what this product is going to do for your skin and then if they're interested and they're passionate and they want to make sustainable choices then you can follow up with that secondary messaging but it shouldn't be the first thing you go to market with. Sarah are we saying that performance is always the priority for consumers obviously it is for brands (laughs) Um, but for consumers is performance still the priority is all the rest dressing Absolutely. Um, I don't think that clean skincare means that you should be compromising the results or the performance um, and the delivery of um, your products. You know, at the end of the day, we're using skincare and beauty products as an extension of our health and wellness. And, you know, we, we want to cleanse and moisturize because we want to remove dirt and remove makeup and restore moisture and nourishment. So um, the products need to deliver. I don't think that's a question, um, but I do think that the standard in terms of, you know, the combination of performance and results that meets clean, um, you know, harsh-free ingredient list is going to be even higher. So as a brand, it's more challenging, but I think it's a fun challenge because we are making things better, and that's kind of, you know, how everyone improves. Um, I think that Part of the, the, the journey has to be um, involving transparency from from scratch to the end in terms of the ingredient list and the manufacturing process, but also how um, you know the each and every process has been has been done, but also the quality of the ingredients as well. And um, I think that's that's the future of clean beauty. You know, you're not compromising results; you're getting the results, but it's better overall as an experience, even for those that have the most sensitive skin, because you would feel eventually very safe to use certain products. So I think it's our job and responsibility to keep um, improving and, and moving forward that direction and um, and providing a positive aspect in terms of, um, you know, consumers being able to enjoy the products while they're using it um, versus feeling any type of fear or suspicion or seeking, you know, any suspicion around um, performance being compromised. Thank you. And lastly, Audrey, what what ingredients do you see trending um, over the next few years? What what are we going to be seeing on labels everywhere? Um, I think we continue to see more um, natural ingredients, and I think we get a clearer picture of what natural means. I think this will allow us to then, as we've kind of said throughout this whole conversation, focus on the positive plants. So whether, um, you know, it's about watermelon, like in the glow recipe mask, or, you know, I've seen mushroom trending quite a bit, um, or back to algae or whatever, uh, plant source we're looking at, I think um, the perpetuation of natural ingredients as the sustainable answer is going to continue to be more prominent. And then looking at which of those plants really are 
the most sustainable, um, create the highest yield, um, the most energy from them. Um, I think that in general will be a really important trend in the next few years. And it it does stem from where we are now, um, but I think the evolution is really on the specific plants and the the true definition of natural um, and that sort of approach to the ingredient deck. And is there anything that we is common now but will be vilified in the future? I mean, just to take the bases as example, water. <laughs> what do you think, Elsie? Is there a green ingredient that's going to disappear? Are there yet clean scandals to come, or do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, we're see, already seeing a lot with water at the moment. Um, I think it will link back to sustainability. So I think what we will now, or what will be vilified in the future, will be. Um, ingredients that have a really like bad sustainability harvesting story around them so I think palm oil is a really good example of that Um, and I think that yeah the types of ingredients that um, the industry will pick up on and consumers will start to try and avoid um, will be those with with kind of questionable practices or those that are really unrenewable so we're basically running out Um, and that's really relevant within natural and the clean conversation because we are drawing upon the earth's resources so um, it can't just be synthesised in in a in a lab so we have to be really responsible with that as well um and if we look to you know the whole palm kind of conversation um it's a really good example of an ingredient that's actually brilliant it's a really solid ingredient used in both food and skincare you know and it's been overused because it's so good but it's been you know harvested without any responsibility around it um so i think that's what we'll start to see is is us drawing too much upon our earth's resources and and there being backlash there Christine, any ingredients you're working to phase out? Any scandals brewing that you can think that you'd like to close with? So in terms of ingredients we are phasing out, I think it's actually not just the standard, you know, ingredients that clean beauty brands tend to avoid, like parabens or or mineral oils or sulfates. In addition to that, what we are also trying to phase out is using ingredients for the sake of using ingredients. And what I mean by this is I think Sarah made a very valid point earlier where a lot of brands tend to chase the latest active, but in a way where it's more about the highest concentration versus versus a use that is perhaps more suited for all skin types, including sensitive. So for us, part of clean is also being gentle. And what we've been doing with this is taking measured educational approaches on why we're using certain acids, how we're buffering that with hydrating ingredients. Or for example, for a recent launch, um, we use ingredient retinol, which some clean beauty brands have talked about. And the way we did it, however, because we're very cognizant that retinol as an ingredient is a gold standard ingredient recommended by dermatologists, but at the same time has side effects like peeling and redness and irritation if not used correctly. So by encapsulating the retinol in a polysaccharide shell that gently dissolves over time and allows the retinol to be released in a way that doesn't irritate the skin and and still has the same efficacy, that for us is another way of formulating for clean because ultimately we're thinking of the customer's skin and in a way where it's still efficacious but still gentle. Wonderful. I'd like to thank everyone for taking part. Thank you, Elsie. Thank you, Dominica. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Audrey. And thank you to our audience for listening. Goodbye.